Prepping for our VBACs often brings more prep for birth than postpartum. But mamas, it's important to prep for the next chapter as well. I know, it's a lot. If you ever find yourself wondering what pump you should get for your postpartum experience, or if you should even get one at all, check out our friends over at the Lactation Network. They have an easy and free four-step quiz that can help narrow down what pumps may be best for you and even check which ones will be covered by your insurance. Whether you're wanting to pump occasionally or exclusively, sitting down or on the go like I did, check them out at lactationnetwork.com and they will help you find the perfect pump for you. Again, that is thelactationnetwork.com or find the link in the show notes. Hello, hello, you guys. This is Megan, and today I am recording in a very different spot. (laughs) Normally, I'm in my office at my home, but today I'm recording from my car. And we have our friend Jessica, and she is from California, and she is going to be sharing her HVAC story with you guys today. And if you don't know what HVAC is, if you're new to all the terms, it's home birth after cesarean. And she kind of has a unique situation with her first C-section. And so I'm excited to kind of talk a little bit about that and have her share more information. And then with her home birth, it was precipitous. And Jessica, was it a planned home birth? Remind me, or was it or was it so precipitous that it would ended up being a home birth? It was definitely planned. Definitely planned. Perfect. So um She'll be sharing with you guys that story, but of course we have a review of the week and this review is by Ashley and it's actually on our course, on our doula course. So birth workers, if you're listening, if you didn't know, we have a birth worker course to become certified in VBAC. It says TOLAC slash VBAC should be treated just like any other birthing person, but there is a certain preparation and information that needs to be offered to them and your course covered that. The value is held in your careful recognition of how best to support our client who is doing a TOLAC. I cannot praise you two enough for the fear release activity. Honestly, it is something I can apply to even myself before and after birth and even in life in general. Thank you for that. It has already helped me with three of my VBAC clients. That is so awesome. And that is one of the biggest things we do in our course is we do a fear release. And if you didn't know, listeners... Fear release is so impactful, really processing your past births and working through any trauma, even if you don't recognize it as trauma, it may resonate as trauma. So working through those fear release activities are super amazing. You are tuned into the VBAC Link podcast with Megan Heaton, who is a longtime doula and VBAC mom herself, here to help you get inspired for birth after having had a C-section. Along with this podcast, the VBAC Link offers blogs, resources, and a comprehensive VBAC course for both parents preparing for birth and doulas wanting to take their VBAC education to the next level. Be sure to follow Megan and her team on all social media platforms for even more. Although these podcast episodes are VBAC specific, it is encouraged for all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a C-section from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here is your host, Megan. Okay, cute Jessica. Thanks for joining me from my car today. I kind of had a crazy day where my husband got thrown into coaching another team and we have soccer tryouts. As we're recording right now, it's actually May. And so we are in the thick of soccer tryouts and all the chaos of last week of school. 
and I ended up being at the soccer field. So that's why I'm coming from my car. So yeah, Jessica, I'd love to turn the time over to you to share your beautiful story. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm very excited. So I'll just get to it. Um, basically, I got pregnant with my first son um, and he was due in July of 2020. Well, actually the beginning of August. So he was a COVID baby. You know, my husband didn't get to go to any appointments with me, but that was supposed to be at a birth center. You know, I had learned about, you know, I watched the business of being born and, you know, kind of got down that rabbit hole and we decided we wanted to be at a birth center and, you know, everything was fine. And then I had my anatomy scan and they found, um, Vesa Previa and, you know, I'd never heard of it. I never really even considered like something being like, you know, you worry about something being wrong with your baby. You never think about like you having something wrong. Um, so we were very shocked. And all I remember the son sonographer saying was like, it's detrimental to your baby. And mm -hmm. so that was like, you know, very devastating because like I had no idea what that meant um, and I had to wait to get a referral to see a specialist and it was like I think four or six weeks away so like in that time frame I had to like basically just like sit and wait not know what was going to happen so I like joined a Facebook group did research in the meantime and I realized like holy crap like this is a big deal and I went to the specialist and they said like, yeah, you have Vesa Previa, but it could still move. So I left like mm -hmm. with no answers. I wasn't like, you know, it didn't feel any better hearing that. So basically Vesa Previa is just like, you know, uh, you have your placenta and the umbilical cord. And um, it was explained to me that like, you know, typically a placenta and an umbilical cord is like the umbilical cord is the tree trunk. Yeah, um, but when you have vasa previa, it's like tree roots. So basically, unprotected umbilical cord mm -hmm. and vessels that could potentially be ruptured with a vaginal birth. So yeah, that they're very exposed. Yes, very exposed. And I also learned that I did have a velamentous cord insertion, which like goes hand in hand. Mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm just basically moral of the story. It was a big deal on how I was going to birth this baby, like even more so because like mm -hmm. his, his life was at risk, you know? So, mm -hmm. and I eventually saw three doctors at the same practice, just like for follow-ups and they eventually cleared me for vaginal birth. And, you know, you think that you would be like super excited about that, but everything that I was reading was saying like, you know, it has to move like a big amount for it to be safe. Like it could still, you know, rupture, like, you know, the vessels could still rupture, all that stuff. And so then I got two second opinions, like at different practices. And they also cleared me. And I just, I don't know, I was everything that I was reading, I was reading different stories on this Facebook group, like I just felt in my gut that like, I needed to still have a C section. And like, that is not what I wanted. So I told I still stayed with the specialist, like, because I was still considered a high risk pregnancy. And she said that I could deliver vaginally, but I told her, like, I feel like I would feel safer doing a C-section. And she said, okay, but we're going to wait until 39 weeks. And with Vesa Previa, you deliver much earlier than that just because they don't want your body to go into labor at all. 
So basically that whole pregnancy was full of anxiety and fear. I was worried like every single time I went to the bathroom or every, I was worried that like it was going to be all this blood. I felt, you know, like invalidated and like I was like silly for still wanting a C-section by this doctor. Yeah, I just, it was really hard. And then my husband couldn't even be at the appointments to like hear what was being said. So yeah, it was just really hard. Yeah. You know, that is a, that is a really hard thing to hear, especially when you're like not even planning on giving birth in a hospital, right? It's hard to be like, wait, wait, wait. So I have to completely shift all gears. But what I loved is that you were, your intuition was like, I need a C-section. Mm-hmm. I, this is what I feel like. This is what's best for me and my baby. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, and you follow that. And that, that is so important. And, and I think one of the messages here at the VBAC link is like, you know, we strive to say like, we don't shame anyone for having a C-section, right? Like we know that they're happening a lot, but especially when like your gut is saying, this is what I should do. Mm-hmm. We have to follow that. Women of strength, we have to follow that. Yeah. So ultimately, yeah, I followed my gut and I'm really glad that I did. The nurse who was like by my side in the C-section, she said that she had never seen a placenta like mine. The doctor, of course, said that it looked normal, but every person that I've shown and like some of them are birth workers are just like, wow. Yeah. I've never seen a placenta like that. I had tons of like very exposed, very fragile looking vessels. I don't know where Mm -hmm. they were like in my belly, but like still like they were very fragile looking. So I feel like I made the right decision. My doctor said that it was normal, but I don't think that it was. Yeah. Was your baby IUGR at all? No. With the filamentous cord on top of it? Okay. Sounds good. So uh, let me just, we're lots of abbreviations in this episode. IUGR is inner uterine growth restriction. And that can be a baby that's being restricted of growth. And sometimes with the velamentous cord, a baby can be on the smaller side or have growth restrictions. Mm-hmm. So it's awesome that your baby didn't. Yeah. Yeah. He was seven pounds, three ounces at 39 weeks. So yeah. And I mean, it was like a fine C-section. I mean, nothing eventful happened, but I just, it was still traumatic, like being strapped. I wasn't even strapped down. Like my arms weren't, but still just the experience and I didn't get to hold my baby for an hour. And when I did, I was like super shaky and like I was nervous to hold him. I felt like, you know, it just, I looked up at the monitors and I feel like my blood pressure was like super low at one point. I thought I was dying. Like I just, it did not feel great. It was like traumatic for us, you know, and I know that trauma looks different for everybody. So for us, like it was just the whole experience was traumatic. And my doctor, she did say, like, you know, I'm giving you this incision. So if you do ever have another baby, you can have a VBAC. Mm-hmm. So it was always like in, in my head that when we did have another baby, it would be a VBAC. Have you ever heard breastfeeding is natural, so it should be easy? Oh, man, I remember being told that when I was pregnant. And then my friend had her baby just before I did. And her experience looked the opposite of easy. I asked her if she had anyone who'd be able to help her, and she said there were these people called IBCLCs, but they were so expensive, and her insurance wouldn't cover it. So she was just going to tough it out. Ugh, ouch. I quickly became concerned, wondering if I was going to have to tough it out as well. 
When my daughter was born via C-section in 2011, I quickly learned I too was not prepared to breastfeed. The cute nurse suggested a nipple shield, but other than that, I didn't really have a ton of help. The nurse said because it was a Saturday, all the IBCLCs were not in the hospital. Boy, do I wish I had TLN back then. Mamas, just because you're breastfeeding is natural, it doesn't mean it's easy. And it doesn't mean you should have to be like my friend and tough it out alone. I highly suggest checking out the Lactation Network for everyone. They offer incredible care and they work with your insurance. How cool is that? Set yourself up right and request a consultation today at tln.care slash feedback. So yeah, so um, fast forward to April of 2022, me and my husband, I got, you know, we were trying and I got pregnant and it was like kind of a surprise, but kind of not. And I kind of toyed with the idea of possibly giving birth in a hospital, but I think it was like for a very short while, like maybe five minutes. And then I was like, no, I think we need to do it <laughs> five minutes this time. Just because of our experience at the hospital, like I just, I don't know. I didn't want to have to fight to have a vaginal birth. I didn't, you know, want to uh, like be held to the hospital policies and whatnot. And, you know, I follow a lot of birth workers and see like physiological birth and whatnot. So it, we just, we just decided to have a home birth and we found our midwife and she was a midwife. She's been a midwife for 46 years. So lots of experience. Um, she's, you know, had lots of VBAC babies and it was just like really exciting and felt like right to book her as our midwife. So I had her, I think from nine weeks on and, Nothing exciting happened in my pregnancy. I was, you know, nervous for the anatomy scan, but they did like a very, very thorough check and I could have cried like hearing the news and like I was just very confident, like knowing that like the placenta looked good, the umbilical cord looked good, all of that. So yeah, we went on to have a uneventful pregnancy and I would say like from 37 weeks on, I would have, you know, cramping and whatnot. I always had like Braxton Hicks, like from 15 weeks on, like, but around like 37 weeks, it kind of changed to that more like period, like cramping. Um, but I tried not to read into it. You know, I was just like, this mm -hmm. is my body preparing. I mean, there were a couple of times where I was like, oh my gosh, is this happening? You know, just listening to lots of podcasts and birth stories and stuff to just like kind of prepare myself for like every scenario. So I think I got checked. I went to the, my midwife appointment. I think it was like the day before I turned 40 weeks. Um, and I was like toying with the idea of like getting checked or not, because I didn't want to be disappointed or like get my hopes up. And ultimately we decided to, I keep saying we, but you know, my husband was a big part of this. I decided to get checked and I think I was like a two maybe and like 70 percent efface or something um so in the right direction but i also knew like okay that doesn't really mean yeah. anything. like it could be a week you know but they did want to schedule me for a membrane sweep the following week just in case like because you know you can't give birth at home like past 42 weeks and i really did not want to do that but i also really wanted to have the baby at home so I was just like really anxious. Like now I feel like I'm on a timeline 
my due date came and went and I was like disappointed. I knew, you know, it's totally normal for your baby to not come at or before 40 weeks, but I still just, you know, you have that hope that maybe they will. And you're starting, your body's starting to have all these symptoms. So like, you're hoping that this is it. So, you know, my midwife had like had said like, you know, make plans because babies like to come when you have plans. They don't like when you're waiting around for them. And so we finally, um, yeah, so we, you know, I tried to get out of the house and then one day I was like, okay, you know what? We got it. We have to go do something. So I planned for me and my toddler to go to the aquarium and we had to like buy tickets. I think two days, well, the day after my um, due date, I lost some of my mucus plugs. So I was like very excited about that. And then two days after my due date, I listened to Bridget Tyler. She has like a induction meditation on YouTube. And I just did it just because like uh, when my husband was putting my toddler to bed, that was like my time to like get in the zone and drink my red raspberry tea and prepare for birth. And so I just did it just because like it was something to do. Uh, I didn't like expect for it to work. And I thought like, you know, nothing else, like I'm bonding with my baby. And it was, it was really great. And then the next day I woke up, I was pregnant still. And my mucus plug still kept coming out and it was like pink. And I was like, oh, is this my bloody show? But my midwives were like, no, that's still your mucus plug. So then I was kind of, you know, disappointed about that. And I talked to my husband about, you know, all the anxiety and how people are like wondering where the baby's at and all of that stuff. And we had a steak dinner that night. And that was like the meal that I envisioned like I would have before I went into labor. So that was 40 weeks and three days. Next day, 40 weeks and four days, I woke up still pregnant, no signs. I was like emotional about it. But that was the day I was supposed to take my son to the aquarium. So we get ready and we're driving. I'm on the way there and I'm starting to like get cramps. Like, you know, every four to like every 30 minutes and they were like 30 seconds long. And I was like, oh my gosh, like what the heck? And we get to the aquarium and my son, like he wants me to hold him. And meanwhile, I'm having these like contractions (laughs) and I'm just like, oh my gosh. And I like wasn't timing them because obviously I had my hands full. And then we ate at the aquarium and I remember feeling like dizzy and nauseous at one point. But then we went home and my toddler fell asleep in the car, which like is pretty rare. That means it's like going to be a short nap. And so I was like, oh, you know, if he takes a short nap, he's going to go to bed earlier. This is like maybe this is meant to be, you know, like maybe if I go into labor tonight, this is meant to be Um, because I had always envisioned that I would give birth like at home while my toddler was sleeping just because like he's a very sensitive little guy. And I figured that like me you know, being in labor would like scare him. So I was just like, oh my gosh, he's going to go to bed earlier than normal. And so I got home and then my husband got home from work and I was like, I'm going to go rest, like lay down, try and take a nap just to like in case. And I couldn't sleep, but I did, you know, lay in bed for like an hour and a half. And I went downstairs, I tried to make dinner and I kept like having to stop and like lean on the counter. And my husband was like, do I need to turn the lights down? Like you're going inward. I'm like, no, I'm not. Like I was in total denial. 
And then he eventually took over because I was just like, yeah, I'm like trying to cut raw chicken here. And I'm just (laughs) not feeling too hot. So, and they still were pretty like inconsistent. They were probably like, I still hadn't really been timing them. They were probably like every four to 20 minutes for like 30 seconds. So then we ate, I think I ate on my birth ball. And then um, I texted my doula, which was like also a student midwife with my midwife. So like I saw her at every appointment. So that was, you know, pretty convenient. And she was just like, you know, don't really worry about timing them. Just like try and rest, eat some snacks and let me know like when they pick up an intensity. It was like six o'clock PM. And I was like, just waiting for bedtime because I knew that like once my toddler went to bed, like I could really focus and not have to like hide that. Like I was, you know, in labor, but I still don't think I realized like how far along I was, you know? So we did the bedtime routine. Um, I do want to know, like I was like leaned over on a pillow and my toddler was like rubbing my back and was saying like, baby brother, I help you. Like it was the sweetest thing. Oh, that's adorable. Yeah. So, um, finally put him in bed and my, I told my husband like, you know, maybe you should just go to sleep with him just in case. Well, I don't know. I'll text you. Like, I didn't know like if he should go to bed or if like he like should come downstairs and like act as my doula. So I tried to get, he was putting my toddler to sleep. I tried to get in the bath. I could not get comfortable. It was just like, so tiny our bathtub is so tiny and like they were definitely picking up an intensity and I just I could not get comfortable so that didn't last long I texted my doula and told her like I feel like they're on top of each other my contractions but they're not quite a minute long like I feel like I I think I texted her like I've had like four in the matter of five minutes but they're like short and she was just like, you know, try different positions, maybe try a shower. At that point, I'd already went downstairs to like try something else. And I just, I could not find a comfortable position. And so my husband texted me like, like, what's the sitch or something? Like, what's the situation? I don't know. And all I said was come. <laughs> and I could see him. Yeah, I was just like, come. Like, because I was definitely like, it was just so uncomfortable I could not find a comfortable position I could see him on the monitor like because we already had the monitor set up that he's just like laying in bed like taking his time I'm like what is this man doing like he did not realize like how intense things had gotten so he came downstairs and you know we tried like different positions like laying down on my side and on all fours on the couch like on the ball and I just couldn't get comfortable so after like 15 or 20 minutes of him trying to like help me I had him text the doula she got over there around like 8 30 and she was helpful you know with like having me take sips of water and like like giving us ideas for um different positions she tried doing like the spinning babies like the sideline release and that was unbearable but we did it and then she had me move to the ball and actually i think while we were on the couch and i was like laying down doing the sideline release i like felt something come out and i had a diaper on at this point because i just kept having bloody show and um i was like something just came out like what what was that what was that like it kind of (laughs) 
kind of felt like I pooped, but it was like out of my vagina. So I was just like, was that the baby? Like what, what just happened? And she looked and it was my bag of water, but like, it was still intact. It was like, it looked like a boob implant to me. Uh, Uh, Yeah. Like it was bulging out of you. Yeah. But it like came out in a bulge. It was Uh, wild. Yeah. So that was cool. And I like knew that because she was the student midwife, like she would be the one to like talk to, like tell the midwives to come. So like, we weren't even worried about that. She was timing contractions, but I had no idea like how fast they were coming. And I said at one point, like, why are they coming so frequently? She's like, well, uh, you're in active labor. (laughs) And then we moved to the ball and that was unbearable. And I like felt him move down, which was so wild. And then I um, had a birth pool and we hadn't even like, it was already blown up, but we hadn't even added water or anything. And I was like, should we start setting that up? And so my husband like went and got the pool and like tried to start putting water in it and whatnot. And then I was like, I feel like I need to move to the couch. So I did. I got on all fours and I had like pillows up by my face and it was just so intense. Like, I just remember thinking like, I'm never doing this again. I asked my husband, like, whose idea was this? Like, meaning like to have another baby and to do it vaginally. Cause I was like, this is awful. Like I just, it was so painful. And then you know, I just stayed in that position. And I knew that like, once I was in that position, there was no way that I was going to be able to move. So my husband was setting the pool up for no reason. Cause I was like, I don't know how I'm going to make it in that pool. And so I think the midwife, one of the midwives showed up around, I want to say like nine 30 ish. Um, and I, at that point was like having fetal ejection reflex. And I was like, just making these like guttural noises, like you know, you hear about what that feels like and how you just like can't control it. And it's so true. Like I felt like, you know, like when you feel like you have to puke and you puke like uncontrollably, it felt like that, but like in my vagina. And then like the noise I was making was like totally uncontrollable. Like they were some intense sounds. (laughs) So the midwife showed up and before I know it, she's saying like, you're going to feel the ring of fire. And my husband, like in hindsight, is like, I had, like, I thought she was just saying that, like, of course she's going to feel the ring of fire. Like, but he didn't realize she was saying it because the baby was crowning. Because <laughs> uh, he was like up by my head, like holding my hand and stuff. And then um, finally he realized that like the baby's head was coming out. My baby's head, like it popped out and then he, you heard like a tiny little cry, but then it went back in. And she had me get in the runner's lunge, I guess, to like try and help him out. And he like, I think I pushed like maybe three times and she like had to remind me to breathe because like the fetal ejection reflex was just taking over and like, I just couldn't stop like trying, not even trying, but you know, having that feeling to like push. And so she reminded me to breathe and he came out, he was born at 958. So I had like I guess 12 hours of labor, but like, I think active labor probably started around like four or six. Again, I'm not really sure just because we weren't really timing contractions. Um, He was eight pounds, seven ounces. So yeah, it was insane, but like in the best way, it was so empowering. Um, I just, I couldn't believe that I had done that 
one of my affirmation cards was like, you're a badass for having an H back. And my husband was just like, calling. he was like, yeah, you're a badass. Like, I can't believe you just did that. Yeah. Just wild. So amazing. Absolutely. I'm sure it was very different for him too. Just like the whole situation, like, okay, like I'm going to set up the birth pool. Okay. Wait, she's telling me to come, but I'll come and I'm going to take, you know, take my time. Like, it's just a very different experience. And then he's like, okay, wow, we're in labor. Let's go. And then it's like, yeah, of course she's going to feel that. Oh, you mean like now she's going to feel that. Yeah. It was, yeah. I think neither of us, yeah. I think neither of us knew like how far along I was and like how quickly things were progressing because it just happened so fast. Like, you know. Yeah. So I kind of want to talk about too, just because sometimes we, we get diagnosed with failure to progress, right? And we get to three or four centimeters and we're told we'll likely never progress and, you know, whatever. And then we go to have a C-section and then we fear having a, a V-back sometimes because we're like, well, maybe we won't progress past what we've progressed. But kind of a cool factor about your story is you never even went into labor, right? You never even dilated or went through that whole process. So this whole birth, this whole H-back was essentially like you were a first time mom, like your cervix is doing this for a first time. And when we've had already progressed in maybe a previous labor, that's like even greater chance of a, of a V-back, right? You went in and your body did exactly what it needed to do to get this baby out, even though you hadn't had any labor previously. Yep. Pretty cool. Yeah. I was very excited to see how it was all going to unfold. So. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like it unfolded beautifully. Now you've got two cute babes and a beautiful home birth under your belt. So now that, you know, you were experiencing like, wow, why did we do this? Why did we choose to get pregnant? Why did we choose to give birth vaginally? After all said and done, are you like, yeah, I would totally do it again. I'm super happy we did it. Yeah, I actually like want to do it again. (laughs) Just because yeah, it was amazing. Like in the moment, yeah, it felt like the most painful thing of my life. But then after that baby's out and like you, you do it, it's like, wow, I did that. I am capable. My body isn't, Mm -hmm. you know, broken. Like just because this happened one time doesn't mean it's going to happen again. It was very empowering, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Just amazing. I would love to do it again. (laughs) I love that. Well, huge congrats, huge, huge congrats. And I want to talk a little bit more about uh, Vesa Previa because it is such a, I don't think we've had anyone on the podcast actually that's had that before usually reasons for cesarean we talked about this before we started recover, uh, recording is you know big big baby i'm doing big air quotes for everyone who can't see me or you know small pelvis or failure to progress or breach you know we don't use see these and because it is really really rare it actually only occurs in about one in every 2500 deliveries and it is I don't know if you I don't know if you said anything about IVF, but it's more common in IVF, which is about one in two hundred, but even then it's a that's a very rare chance, right? So it can happen randomly or if IVF was going on, it that is definitely a chance that could increase your chances. Did you do any IVF at all or was it a spontaneous pregnancy? 
Um, it was spontaneous. I didn't have any of the risk factors for Vesa Previa. So it was like totally random. Yeah, totally random. You were just one of the really rare cases. Mm -hmm. But it worked out really well. Mm -hmm, it did. Well, thank you so much for sharing your stories with us today. Thank you for having me. Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Head over to the vbacklink.com slash share to submit your story. For information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, the worldwide database for VBAC doulas, and more, head over to the vbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.